We're going to jump into Acts chapter 8 again and take a little deeper look at what we were talking about last week. So you may remember, we were, uh, we were comparing the character of Stephen. So Stephen and we were comparing him to Simon. And so we were talking about the difference between how Stephen operated by the Spirit and where Simon was maybe interested in being in the Spirit of Jesus but was missing some of the, the major aspects of how that works. So we just want to take some time this morning and get the passage up on the screen and walk through uh, Acts chapter 8. And I think there's earlier verses in that. All right, there it is. Okay, so it all starts with this character of Philip. Now, the, the lead up to this, Stephen, operating in the Spirit, by the Spirit, has a, a pretty provocative message for the religious leaders, gets them killed. That causes an incredible uh, moment in the church in Jerusalem where folks are fleeing because they're worried the same is going to happen to them. They call it the diaspora. So people running all over the place. But the interesting thing is where that was meant to shut down the spread of the message. It actually, people that were like, we got to get out of here because we're going to get killed, took the message with them to other places and actually was the reason it spread so far. So one of the ways that happened was with Philip going to Samaria. So Philip goes to Samaria. Those who'd been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed, so there was great joy in that city. Which, no kidding. You know, if you can imagine people that have been paralyzed or that couldn't function in their bodies properly, all of a sudden are able to. Can you imagine the impact that would have? People are just amazed. And there's this wonderful thing happening. And some of the, some of the impurity or some of the gross stuff that's going on with impure spirits gets confronted too. And there's some changes that happen. Let's go on from there. Um, now, for some time, there's this character, Simon. So, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city, and he amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. That's usually a red flag, by the way. <laughs> Somebody is telling you how great they are. That's usually a red flag. So, he boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. So people were amazed at some of the trickery, some of the ways that he could do things. And he did it in such a way where he had a following. And high and low, I think it's like wealthy people, poor people, I think that's what that means. So they followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. He was a bit of a trickster. But when they believed Philip, this new guy, who's talking in a different way, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. So we see this incredible moment where Simon, the guy who they all think is like this super magician sorcerer guy, he, along with everyone else, say whatever Philip is doing, whatever power Philip is operating in, is different. I'm even the sorcerer, and I can see it. To the point where they believed, 
and believed enough that they repented in this step of baptism, which really is what baptism is about. It's kind of dying to your old way of seeing things, being raised into a new way of seeing things. So let's continue. The plot thickens. Okay. Um, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, that's like good news, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. And when they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now we start scratching our heads a little bit, don't we? It's like, okay, hang on, what? Okay, so they were baptized in the name of Jesus, and Philip was working with them and operating with them, but it seemed like they were missing something. There wasn't a full expression of what other people had started to experience after Pentecost. There was something kind of not fully happening. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. And so we, we see that there's this this moment that happens where Peter and John come as these sort of seasoned apostles at this point and assist Philip because somehow the community had believed in Jesus enough to say, we're, we're going to be baptized, but they were missing something in how the Spirit can come on people and give them power to live in that new reality. Right? So let's go to the next thing. Simon, it gets interesting with Simon. <clears throat> When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. He's like, man, that is a good trick. <laughs> I, uh, I'm into tricks. I'm Simon the Sorcerer. I'm known for my tricks. He offered them money. He says, give me this ability so that everybody I lay my hands on will receive this, the Holy Spirit the way this just happened. So it must have been dramatic enough that Simon wants to be able to do it. And Peter comes back and he says, May your money perish with you, because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry, and here's the reason. Because your heart is not right before God. Okay, that's the reason. Your heart isn't right before God. It's not because you don't have the right angle of your hands when you put them on someone. There isn't some formula you're missing. It's that you aren't living by the Spirit. You haven't been filled with God's Spirit in such a way where you could do that with someone else, where you would be able to hear how the Holy Spirit would help you help someone else. So this, I think, raises a few questions that we're not the first people to ask. Okay? So there's a few biggies that come out of this passage, and lots of different traditions approach them differently. Okay? So I want to just take a second to look at these, these questions. Um, first off, uh, there's a bigger story that's kind of going on here in the book of Acts, where we see that the, the apostles are waiting for something that Jesus has promised. Remember that? That the Spirit is going to come and be this advocate, this comforter, this, this empowering source for how you're going to accomplish the mission. And so we see it happen first in Acts chapter 2, and it's among all the Jewish folks in Jerusalem, and some that aren't Jewish. And so there's this outpouring of God's Spirit in Acts chapter 2. Then Samaria is next. Samaria is sort of that half-Jewish, half-Gentile scenario, so much so that the Jews kind of sneered at them. They wouldn't want to go to Samaria because Samaria was 
kind of a mixture. They would call them mixed breeds almost. Like there was some animosity. Like you're not really Jewish, so you don't really count. Anyway, guess, guess where, where they do count? With the Spirit. The Spirit says you do count. And so in Acts chapter 8, the one we were just reading, now Samaria meets the Spirit. Two chapters later, Cornelius, this Gentile, non-Jewish guy, now the Spirit that's been promised has gone Jewish, has gone Samaritan, and has gone Gentile. And so there's this arc that we're seeing in the book of Acts, where, people, where it's starting at home in Jerusalem, and then Judea, and then Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth, just like Jesus promised. And so we're starting to see that the Spirit is being given to people, not just Jewish people anymore, but that they're being empowered first at home, but it's going on the road. And that Samaritans, the least likely in many Jewish minds, are receiving a kind of infilling of God's presence that's not like it used to be. Okay? So that's the first thing to bear in mind. There's a bigger story going on. Um, the second is, it, it seems like, especially in this passage and in Acts chapter 10, that the writer of Acts is saying that there's two baptisms. And this is something people love to argue about. Okay? So um, let's not do that. Okay? Let's just talk about it and uh, learn from one another. Okay, so the first baptism was what Philip had experienced, right? It was a, a baptism of repentance where they're saying, I don't want to live this way anymore. I want to join the faith community. I think the way, as in following after Jesus, is right. And so I'm going to die to my old life and be born again into a new life. And, and that's, that's kind of baptism. But then it says that they were baptized with the Spirit. Or they weren't baptized with the Spirit. Then they were baptized with the Spirit. So here's what I think is helpful in this conversation. Um, baptism means to be fully immersed into something. Okay, so when people were, the word at the time was used for people that were dyeing cloth. So it was white, we baptized it in purple dye, and now it's purple, you know? And so the word wasn't like a religious word at the time. It started being used more and more that way. But it just meant fully immersed into something. And so when later... We scratch our heads because we hear Paul say that there's only one baptism. There's one Lord, there's one faith, there's one baptism, there's one spirit, he says, in Ephesians 4. And so how is there one, but now over in Acts there seems to be two? And like, is the Bible contradicting itself, or what are we missing here? Okay, so here's what I think the missing piece is a little bit. Last week we talked about the difference between in the spirit and by the spirit. So he said, in the spirit, is kind of like in the spirit of teamwork, we're all going to run a lap together. Remember that example? Or in the spirit of long-windedness, we're going to have great speed. That was a good <laughs> Etc. So um, that's not the same as empowered by the spirit. And so an analogy I wanted to say last week, but ran out of time or forgot to, was picture yourself sitting in a boat in the middle of the ocean. And the wind starts to blow. You're sitting in your sailboat, sails are down, the wind starts to blow. Your boat's going to move a little bit, right? That's kind of like being in the spirit. So saying like there's, there's aspects of this way of Jesus I agree with. And when the spirit happens to be moving in, in and amongst us, I'll be affected by it in some ways. But it's kind of from an external 
place. By the Spirit, and this isn't a perfect analogy by any means, is kind of like now putting your sails up and learning to operate in a way where when this wind is blowing, we are participating with it. That we're empowered to move and we actually are, can be steered by it even. Now, the, the, the place where the analogy gets challenging for me is there's also moments where the wind does things that are unpredictable. Okay, So sometimes the wind, in my analogy here, just picks up the boat and like transports it in a way that boats don't normally move. You're going like, okay, so I've got my sail situation, I've got my sitting in the boat situation. And then there's situations where I don't seem to do that much, and yet the boat moves a lot further than I could have if I'd just been manning the sails. And so I think that's a way to understand how the spirit in Acts could come on people with power. So it could fill them, could, it, it could consume them, could overwhelm them in a powerful way. And the danger here is that sometimes we start to think that experiencing moments where our boat gets lifted off the water and transported somewhere is the goal. It's not not the goal, like it's not something we don't want, because whenever the Holy Spirit moves in a powerful way, it's awesome. Which is a, a way to see if it's really it. If it's not awesome, and it like, feels gross and manipulative and cringy, not the right spirit. But if the boat gets lifted up and moved, and it, it needs to feel like encloaked in love, in a kind of a God way. You know what I'm saying? And I think for many of us in this room, we've experienced efforts to like manufacture boat transportation, you know, <laughs> to keep with the analogy. And it's because people really want to see something profound. But I think the better goal is an ongoing invitation to baptism after baptism after baptism of God's Spirit, where it's not like this one-off event where God's Spirit overwhelms us, but where we're consistently open to putting our sails up and being caught by the wind, and occasionally, if God so desires, he might even lift the boat off the water and do something that we don't even, can't even understand. So <clears throat> um, that's, that's how I like to think about it. The dangers in this is to say, well, there's a formula. You've got to put your hands on the person. The right leaders have to do it. The thing is, Acts chapter 10 with Cornelius, they get this infilling of the Spirit first, then they go get in the water. You know? And there's no laying out of hands. Acts chapter 8, um, what happens first is they all go get in the water, get baptized, then they're like, oh, there's something kind of missing. So then the guys decide, I think we need to pray in a special way because they get that sense. But what Simon comes along and says is, I want to figure out a way to put this into sort of a, a formula that I can control. And what they say is, your problem is you thought it could be a formula that you could buy. You thought it's something you can just manufacture. And that's not how wind works. 
You can't make your own wind. You can't control it, but you can invite it. Let's make sure I'm not missing anything. We don't have to do this next week as well. <laughs> okay, so um, some of you maybe have heard of this Asbury thing. So it's a, a school in Kentucky. It's been all over the news that they had um, they had a chapel service, and they, at the end of it, the kids, the students, just didn't leave for two weeks. So they just kept staying. I mean, I think they probably went to the bathroom and got food and stuff. But they kept coming back, and, and like the professors were like, cancel classes, something weird is going on. And so everybody that's wondering what revivals are and all that flew there, and everybody's kind of assessing, like, is this the real thing? And, you know, which kind of strips it of some of its beauty, in my opinion. But um, what was really interesting is that most folks that I read who went and described it said, there was no flash. There was no hype. There was no like, special leader up there. It was just this odd sensation of incredible calm and peace and love in the room where folks were overcome. That sounds good. And like students were kind of getting real with each other. And they were in a safe environment where that was okay. And it, and it, it was encouraged. And I think that that sounds awesome. I think the goal is not to manufacture an experience like that. The goal is to be people, to be a community that's open to what the Spirit wants to lead us toward. And it doesn't have to look like the versions that we've seen on a Hollywood movie or that we've cringed at. The Spirit customizes experiences to the people that He's working with, that the Spirit's working with. And so um, the correction that as I was wrestling with what I left out of the passage for me is to say, if we don't talk about that, if we don't, um, if we're so leery of inviting crazy town that we're not willing to like look at the real legitimate version of that, then we're actually afraid of the spirit or we're leery of that so much that we'd shut it down. And so by no means do we want to do that. And so if that came across in the way that I was speaking to that passage last week, then I'm sorry. And that's why we're back. Because I want to just set the record straight. I believe that God's Spirit still exists. That God's Spirit can fill us in ways that allows us to do things we can't do in our own strength. And that God's Spirit always, always is a, a good thing. But I also believe there's a lot of manipulation and gross stuff that people try to manufacture as a cheap, sad, disgusting version of it. All right.